BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. And he swings, hits it high, and deep, and gone! Still going! Welcome back to The Call-Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Aram Layton, and in today's episode, we have an awesome interview with Nassim Nunez, shortstop prospect in the Miami Marlins organization, and Nunez is a guy that I'm really excited for you to listen to this conversation because he is a different player than what we are used to seeing when it comes to prospects and and what scouts may look for in a player. But the funny part is that I think Nunez is a guy that has as high of a likelihood to make the Marlins big league roster in the next couple years than a lot of other prospects in this Marlins system, especially outside of the you know consensus top five or ten rankings. I find it really hard to imagine a world where Nasim Nunez is not a big leaguer in in some capacity. There's a legitimate case that he is the best defensive shortstop in the minors. And I'm not even kidding about that. Like, it's not hyperbolic whatsoever. If you want to see some of the plays that we break down on StreamYard, look at the link in the podcast description where you can really see the defensive ability that this guy has. But you, you can look at Baseball America, Fan Graphs, which I think has a 70 feature on his defense. Baseball America has a 70, and I think they said an 80 wouldn't be out of the question here. It is really ridiculous what this guy is capable of with the glove. And, you know, it's hard to put into stats with minor leaguers uh, when it comes to the defense. You don't have defensive runs saved or outs above average. So I'll, I'll talk about the offensive stats and where he made improvements there this past season. But the big reason why I think Nunez is a high, high probability big leaguer is that you just can't teach this kind of ability with the glove and this kind of speed. And, you know, similar to a Taylor Walls type of situation, Nunez can give you a positive F war season without even really doing much with the stick. But the thing is, is he made some big strides with the stick last season after having a, a 630 OPS in low A through his first 52 games or th- through the 52 games he played in 2021. Last year, between high A and double A, 
He had a 701 OPS, a 105 WRC plus, and he gets on base at a really good clip. We talk about this on the podcast in the interview about how he does not like to do any favors. Some of the best chase rates in the minor leagues because he doesn't like to expand the zone and, and really make it any easier on the pitcher. He's not going to be the biggest guy, right? He's he's about five foot seven, five foot eight, 160 pounds. So he's not going to you know absolutely crush baseballs, but he did produce more extra base hits last year per game than he did in any other stretch prior. And as he mentioned, being a high school guy, just getting more at-bats has helped him a ton and getting out of the cold weather. He's a Georgia kid. uh, Definitely helped him. He was in Beloit in high A, that's in Wisconsin, and then double A, he's in Pensacola, and he said it just really helped him there. The biggest thing, too, is this guy stole 70 bases last year. 70. He was among the top three in the minor leagues in the stolen base department. He is a plus-plus runner who is a legitimate candidate to pace the minor leagues in stolen bases next year. If he's healthy, I mean, Asturi Ruiz is going to be with the big league team over in Oakland. There's a legitimate case that Nassim Nunez can lead the minor leagues in stolen bases. So, you know, while the slugging percentage may always be in the threes, he walks a ton. He puts bat on ball. He's a switch hitter. He's a plus-plus runner, and he's a plus-plus defender. And again, I can't emphasize enough how remarkable the glove is. So it's a really unique profile, right? He has two home runs in his entire minor league career so far, which is around 200 games, but he can spray the ball all over. He's going to give you value with the glove, value with the legs as well. It's a throwback type of profile, but the fact that he can play such a high quality of defense at shortstop, I'm really interested to see how the Marlins continue to push Nassim Nunez and and continue to figure out where he fits in in their long-term plans because The glove alone is enough to be an everyday shortstop at the big league level and at least enough to be a really, really good utility guy that can fill in a la Taylor Walls, who disappointed last year, but I think that comp is is very fair. He's not going to maybe hit the ball as hard as Walls, but he's also much faster. Uh, So there's, there's a similar value there and I think a similar ability to impact the baseball game. And remember, Nunez was 21 last year when he reached double A with not a lot of professional at-bats. So this is a guy that I think can really force his way up to the big leagues and and I think is one of the most underrated prospects in this Miami Marlins system. He was a second-round pick back in 2019, signed for $2.2 million. So I think that's why when he didn't quite look like that top 100, you know, $2 million prospect, maybe he got overlooked a little bit. But he can do all of the little things and really do a lot of different things to make himself an above replacement level player if it all works out. And if he can hit enough, it'll be fun to watch how the bat can continue to develop as he made big strides with his right-handed swing. The left-handed swing's always been a little bit further along, but has continued to get better in just the overall bat-to-ball department and just at least showing some gap-to-gap power there too. But this guy is a human highlight reel, an awesome personality, and I think an interview that you'll really enjoy from a type of player that we don't see much anymore and is really refreshing to watch players like him take the field and make some superstar plays and do all of the little things that we don't get to enjoy as much in today's game the way it is. So without further delay, here is the electric Nassim Nunez of the Miami Marlins organization. And here is Marlins shortstop prospect Naz Nunez, who is coming off of his best season in the minor leagues, both offensively and defensively. I was just telling you before we hopped on and and press record, I spent maybe an hour and a half today just going through all of your defensive plays. And dude, it was just so much fun to go through all of that. But congratulations on an awesome year, man, where you finished in double A among the league leaders and stolen bases. We'll break that all down as well. But first and foremost, thanks for taking the time to hop on, man. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. So 
I want to talk about just kind of the season as a whole. There's so many aspects of your game. I want to break down a little bit, you know, between the speed, your switch hitter, uh, you had a career year in the extra base hit department and the stolen base department, whatever. But I want to just start with kind of the experience of just going from high A to double A, because you're, you're a high school guy that, you know, it's always a little bit more of a learning curve as you're getting to high A and then double A, but you didn't really seem to blink on either side of the baseball. And I always talk about it. I always love to ask, you know, like what's the biggest adjustment high A or double A you seem to make that smooth transition, but you know, being, you know, climbing through multiple levels and getting to the upper minors this year, you know, what were some of the biggest tests for you? And, And obviously you responded well. So how did you manage some of those bigger tests as you climbed two big levels? Man, so you saying coming from low A, we'll start at high A because high A, high A was something different for me. Like playing playing in Georgia, you get that little bit of cold. But when I went to Wisconsin, Beloit, yeah. <laughs> I've never, I've never encountered that type of weather in my life. You know, so I believe that was a, I won't call it a test. I'll call it like that was an experience. <laughs> yeah, that was for sure something. I'm glad I went through in the minors because that was very hard. But I learned so much about myself, my routine, my preparation, what I need to do to stay warm if I yeah. ever do. God forbid I ever do have to play in those um, that environment again. But that's for sure something I take out of that. But that was the that was one of the harder things for me to deal with in high A was overcoming that mental battle of fighting with myself, trying to convince myself that it wasn't cold. I was trying to convince myself that it wasn't cold, not making adjustments, just like, just play. But when I came to the realization of, after talking to a couple of family and friends, I was like, it's cold. So I need to make an adjustment and I need to find out how to, what I got to do to battle through this cold. And sadly to tell you, I still haven't figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, the good news is, bro, you, you get promoted to Pensacola, so that kind of took care of it for you. Yeah, next it stop got is, warmer. <laughs> yeah, next stop's Jacksonville. Next stop's Miami, where it's never cold, and if it's too hot, they got a roof for you. So you're in good shape there. But obviously, you're going to yeah. play on the road a little bit. And um, you know, I grew up in South Florida, and and if it was ever, I'd go play the East Cobb tournaments in Georgia. And sometimes we, we did a fall tournament out there too. And it was like 50, 60 degrees and trying to swing wood in that for me, even was a problem. Like I got one on the fists in batting practice, even. And I was just like, I'm done. I don't want to swing the bat. Yeah. What we, where was it harder for you? Because, you know, on, on the defensive side of things, you're a guy with, and we're going to break it down, but you're a guy with, <laughs> with elite range uh, for my money. I think you're, you're arguably the best defensive shortstop in the minor leagues, but I mean, you got to be fresh. You got to be warm. You got to be ready to go uh, to be able to move and have that range. And you're kind of a sitting duck when it comes to being cold in the field, but there's nothing worse than swinging a baseball bat when you're frozen. Where did you feel like it was the hardest for you to manage that cold in the field or, or at the plate? And, you know, how did you kind of try to get through with that? Because you did put up good offensive numbers. You did play phenomenal defense. And that's why you ended up in the warmer climate in Pensacola. I feel like it almost lights a fire under you to, to, to get out of the right. cold. And, and I know Beloit's got a beautiful new stadium and everything, but I, I've got to imagine you were excited to get to Pensacola. <laughs> Right, and I was hoping a fire would be lit under me in that weather. <laughs> but um, for me, I would say hitting, just because hitting is already hard enough. So yeah. hitting in that weather created a lot of bad habits for me. You know, really? um, I was always late 
<laughs> because yeah. I didn't want to, I didn't want to catch a changeup off the end of the bat. So I would really let everything get deep on me. You know, I would let the pitches get too far deep, and you know, like life and anything that you apply, once you're late to something, it's kind of hard to be smooth and go with the flow. So for me, it was hitting because I would be late and I would have no chance. Yeah, I have no chance. And that's something I had as it got warmer, I got to move my points and vision out front to help me battle more during the season. And for defense, it was hard because I'm so used to relying on my natural ability and the skills that I've developed throughout my career. But because it was so cold, I couldn't rely on that. So I could use my natural instincts in fielding. So I would just kind of like cheat almost. Like if I knew this runner was pretty fast, I'm really, I'm playing really close. Like I'm playing not in the grass because I'm not going to have my arm like I usually would. So it's kind of knowing the game a little bit more on the defensive side. But I feel like hitting, that was all physical. (laughs) That was all physical. That ability, if it's not there, it's it's extra hard to hit. Dude, At least you I could think. <laughs> so I, that segues me right into the defensive side of things, man. And and I wanted to just kind of ask you, I'm always fascinated because hitting, it's it's just, it's a repetition thing. So is fielding. But, you know, fielding is something that, you know, some guys just have it and it's natural. And I, and I think you can get better and better with the reps. But hitting, it's like, you just got to get at bats. And you're never going to get better unless you continue to get at bats. For you, it was like since you entered professional baseball, it, the glove was always there. And, and I'm sure you, you would say that you've gotten better defensively as you've matured. But it seems like that's always been there for you, right? Like, what do you attribute that to? And, and have you always felt like the glove has been there for you? Maybe like since you picked it up, uh, you know, since you first started playing? Or was there a point in time where things really clicked for you defensively? And, and what do you attribute your just impressive ability with the glove at, you know, the most premium position, you know, what do you attribute your, your ability there to? My mom, she kind of broke it down to me today. She always says that I was, I have a God given ability with defense and I agree, but I also know the things that I did when I was younger that continually progress my ability. So for me, when I was younger, you could ask all my little brother's parent or teammates, parents, and my mom's, my dad's friends, and even the parents of my own teammates. I always had a glove with me. Always. I always had a glove and a ball, and I would always just play around. I was always holding it, and I was just always doing something with it. I don't believe that it was always the best. I always had a good arm. I'll tell you that. I got a story for that if you want to hear that one. But yeah, absolutely. The glove, the glove, I believe I developed it with working with one of my coaches when I was about 13 or 12. That's when I really started taking baseball seriously. So he he helped me become fundamentally sound. And once I started realizing what it was, the the smoothness, the sound of the ball hitting my glove consistently and the picks and all that, that's when I fell in love with becoming fundamentally sound and I believe that's what that's what is my biggest power with defense all the other plays that I make that's natural ability yeah you can't teach that stuff you know what I'm saying yeah so I take pride in the fundamental part and I give that to all the one of my coaches like he helped me become fundamentally sound everything else that's my parents and God (laughs) 
No, and and that's that's always what I'm fascinated with because you know you, you can't teach the athleticism that you have, right? Like you, you're a guy that's a, a plus athlete. You fly, you move your feet well, you've got the arm, which I want to hear the story about. But you know that's what I'm always fascinated with because you also see guys like you know Miguel Rojas at the big league level who you know I, I probably bet you beat him in a race, but that guy has been you know a phenomenal defender at shortstop at the big league level for so long. So when you marry the the fundamentals and the you can't teach the arm strength, you need that, but the fundamentals. With the athleticism, you get a guy that can really defend like you do. Um, what 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 was what do you attribute the arm strength to? Because that was something that I watched a couple of times where you could see your internal clock when I was watching the plays of like, you know, you knew exactly how long you had. Sometimes you took maybe an extra <laughs> half a second and then you just whipped that thing, or sit back, get it on a long hop because you know that you've got the arm to get it there. Whereas some other guys with maybe a more average arm, they're coming in, getting it on a short hop, tougher play with the glove, but they're, they're easier, you know, to make the throw and not have to worry about, you know, maybe being a little late there. Uh, what was your story with the arm? And, you know, how, when did you kind of realize that you've got, you know, a, a cannon for an arm, uh, especially for a guy that, you know, <laughs> you're not six, eight, 200, like Aaron judge kind of guy that where it just flicks it and, and it's 98. Like it's a pretty ridiculous arm to have. Yes. Um, the story with my arm, it, it might not, it might not sound believable, but I was about five or four, five or four. And I remember this vividly. My first season I played T-ball and my, I don't remember this part of T-ball, but my parents told me that I hit a inside the park home run. And as I was coming to dugout, everybody was cheering for me and I didn't play the rest of the season because I didn't like everybody cheering for me. So I didn't play the rest of the season. Remember this. And then next season comes around and one of the coaches picks me up. I don't know where I got picked, but I was surprised I got picked because I didn't play. You know what I'm saying? So he wants to see me throw. And I know I have an arm when I'm young. Like I remember having an arm as a four or five year old. And he asked me, he was like, you don't want to throw to anybody. Who are you going to throw to? I was like, I'll throw to you. And he's like, okay, throw it to me. And he didn't have on a glove. <laughs> he didn't have on a glove. And I was like, you got to put on a glove. And he was like, no, I don't need to put on a glove. And I was like, okay. And so <laughs> I threw him a baseball. And I remember just come being like so young. And I remember how hard I threw the ball. And everybody was like, because he like smacked his hand. And he was just like trying to act tough. And then you can see him turn it around like, but I remember that, and I know when he watches this, he's going to know exactly who he is, and everybody from my childhood who was on that team is going to know who, exactly who it is, and that's going to be like a, wow. But I can vividly remember that story. And that's when I knew I had an arm, and that's when I kind of started like, now everybody knows. Everybody I was playing with knows. <laughs> that's that's awesome. So that That's the thing, man, where it's like some guys maybe don't realize so they're older, but especially for the the – the God given abilities, like the, the arm that you have, and sure you can train it and get it stronger and stronger. And I'm sure you've done plenty of things to preserve it more so than anything and, and just arm care. But that's some of those things that you just, you're just kind of born with. Uh, and it's pretty right. cool that to have that memory all the way back to age four or five there, which, which is awesome, man. Let's talk about the speed because the, the speed is, is also a, a massive part of your game. And you were tied for third in all of the minor leagues and stolen bases with 70. Um, and in terms of guys with, with uh, uh, their games above low a, 
I believe you were second behind only a story Ruiz who was on the most ridiculous torrid pace. Of I got to see him. I got to see him. Dude, <laughs> I'm going to see him. Nuts. When we play a series, it's going to be up. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to just be a stolen base competition. Right? This yeah, guy was dude. just going and, and you were doing the same. And I was watching just kind of refreshing every couple of days, seeing what the stolen base totals were at. But I wanted to ask you this because there was some new rules that were implemented, but then kind of taken away. And especially in the lower levels, it was like, it caused you to take the stolen bases a little bit with a grain of salt, but you get to double leg and your efficiency and your frequency didn't really change in terms of stolen bases per game and percentage of times you were going that you successfully stole a bag. Uh, Did you see any change in, in maybe how difficult it is? Because of course you're going to have pitchers that are quicker to home plate. You're going to have some less rules. You're going to have better catchers, but Going back to the cold conversation, you also went to a warmer area where it's probably easier to just take off. Um, <laughs> did you find any more challenges in double A when it came came to stolen, stealing bases? Or uh, was it kind of a seamless transition for you as you just continued to run, run, and run? No, it wasn't any challenges. I believe the challenge for me was in Wisconsin, which was higher because – I had a I had a coach who was always there to help me. He was like, he would always let me know, go like when I should run or let me know when to do this, let me know when to do that. And I kind of relied on it. You know, my first year, those 30, some, whatever it was, 33, 32 bags was big from him, a lot of help. And I tell him that still, because he's at the camp where I'm like, look, I didn't have you, Frankie. So when I got up to high, I was lost. I was like, what? I don't know what to do. So I had to learn that on my on my own. And once I got to a point where it kind of clicks a little bit and you start becoming aware, that's when it was a game changer for me. So the same thing continued in in double uh, A. And he was there with me. And I was like, <laughs> I don't need you no more. I don't need you no more. I that's got awesome. <laughs> I got this way for sure. And we still talked about the things like we talked about things to look for in pictures and things that they might do in certain situations or this guy might be a certain time to the plate, but because you're on the base, he's going to be this time, which is yeah. quicker to the plate. So we're going to have to chill until we see something different. And that was my biggest thing, not just running to run, running because I see something. Yeah. Oh, and 100%. once I got to see stuff that made it so much bigger, like I looked one of the main things, and I talked to my pitcher about this the other day, I look for breath. So most times, a lot of pitchers, they, they're so the same thing, the same thing, the same thing. They, they try to not pay attention, but they really are. So to relax themselves, they breathe before they deliver. So I would watch the breath, and I would kind of anticipate it. Like, oh, he's getting ready, so I'm going to get lower. I'm going to sink more. And that was a lot. That was most of the stuff I would look for, just finding those little tricks and not just relying on my – ability because I can rely on my ability, but it's not going to last forever. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to have my speed forever, but I can have this forever. So it was this that helped me at double A and it just made it so much easier. (laughs) It really did. How much was it picking the right like counts and stuff too? Are you, are you trying to run on breaking ball counts or is it more so just timing up the pitchers? Like it, it didn't matter what pitch they were throwing. It didn't matter. <laughs> if I got a breaking ball, I was standing up. Yeah. <laughs> or if I kind of – I really didn't know what pitch was coming. Like, I know a lot of people talk about, which I want to start practicing more, but, like, trying to pick up the signs or pick up things catchers do, like, 
to pick up a sign, like some might move away and that means breaking ball is coming and then go. But I don't, I think that's thinking too much. That's like if somebody tells me what's pit, what pitch is coming. I don't like that. Yeah. Because then I don't trust my instincts. You tense I'm up trusting. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I can use my brain to kind of re- release, like, um, I don't know how to explain it, but allow my instincts to be more confident almost yeah. so that yeah, for sure. I trust my instincts and my instincts trust me. 100%. Kind of like that. And that's what my mind helps me with when I pick up little stuff. Now, if I just want to rely on instincts, like I said, who knows how long that'll last. So it's fun that trying to develop both. Yes. Yeah. 100%. And I mean, it seems like you did that last year with 70 bags. Like, do you have a goal for, for next year, stolen base wise? Like, are you, are you trying to do, you're trying to beat 70? Like, is that possible? Uh, what's your, do you have a, do you have a number there that you're chasing? I feel like a lot of the base stealers, they like to chase a number uh, because it becomes kind of a competitive thing between the class <laughs> guys. I was just telling one of the um, former big league players who played with the Marlins, asking me my goal. And you say chase numbers. When I think of chase numbers, I think they run from you too. So I'm not trying yeah. to chase a number. <laughs> I think I told him my goal is I don't want to be, we can make the goal now. So my goal will be, I'm a, I don't care how many bases I steal. I just, don't want to get thrown out more than let's say seven, more than seven times. Okay. No like more that. than seven. Give a little bit of room for getting to the big leads, getting adjusted a little bit, you know, getting back into the routine, getting into the swing of things, yeah. getting comfortable with all that stuff. So I don't want to get thrown out more than seven times. That's my goal. I love that you say that. Cause the, the one thing that I'm always looking at, man, is like, you see guys that steal a ton of bases, but if you steal 40 bags, but you got thrown out 15 times, I'd rather have a guy that was 20 for 22 because right. there's, there's a value of, of not getting a race off the base paths. Yeah. 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 So like I, I, I'd rather have that. And, and I think again, with your speed and what you're able to do, you'll probably end up doing both, but you know, it's probably better to be 50 for 55 than, you know, 60 for 85. Right. And, and I think right. that's something that I love to hear from you because I know with, with what you've already got going, I, I could see you being efficient and and still picking up a lot of bags. Last topic I want to discuss with you is is the hardest part is the offensive side of things because hitting a baseball is absolutely miserably difficult. And I love talking <laughs> to guys climb through the minors about it because especially switch hitters. You know, I had Greg Jones on a little while back and just talking to him about oh, boy. <laughs> both swings. Oh, he's the man. He's awesome. And, you know, like just talking to him about both swings and, you know, how you try to manage that. And, you know, not only are you trying to, to hit a baseball, but you got two swings to worry about. For you, you know, again, as we mentioned in the beginning, you, you really produced more in the extra base, base hit department last year and just got on base at a higher clip. Your batting average is better. Pretty much every offensive category improved last year. What was your focus, you know, to to kind of tap into more just consistent, you know, barrel the ball more consistently, basically improve every offensive statistic. And beyond that, you know, I thought your, your left-handed swing was, was a lot of switch hitters. You get more reps there. You were more, you had more production from the left side, but this year you, you made your biggest stride from the right side as well. What did you feel like, you know, was the biggest reason or contributor to your, your offensive success and the strides that you made last year? At bats. That's, yeah. <laughs> At bats, I was a uh, coming into spring training last year. I was really big on mechanics and trying to get my body into a certain spot or trying to get my barrel into a certain spot. But I learned that 
I can do all that and my swing still looks just like my swing when I was seven, eight years old. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I started switch hitting in high school. My left-handed swing still looks like what I first started from high school. It's just more efficient. So for me, it, now it's about playing the game, like getting in the box, being ready for that fastball every single time, no matter what the pitcher throws. And for me, I learned that when I get in the box and have two strikes or maybe one strike on me and I'm trying to get in there and guess what he's throwing, like, oh, he might throw a chance. I got to step out. I have to step out the box and say, get back on the fastball. Get back on the fastball and think left center field, center field approach. That's it. And whatever happens, happens. Because at the end of the day, you cannot control where that little white thing goes. (laughs) (laughs) You can't. And something you can con- control, though, is is your approach. And what what stands out the most to me is is you don't really expand the zone, man. Like you you don't chase, um, you don't really do pitchers any favors, and you're not afraid to go deep into counts, you know, because I think you know that you can put bat on balls, spoil tough pitches, and you know even if you don't get a hold of one, you could chop one in the ground and beat it out when you're you know deep in a count. Uh, have you always had that feel for the strike zone? Because again, I mean, your, your chase rates are are so low. Uh, you, you walk. Which, which is, I always find it interesting when a guy who you don't want to put on base walks as much as you do because you walk, you steal second base, you basically hit a double. And and you did that a lot last year. I don't know. I, there's no way I could pull that exact stat, how many times you walked and then stole second. But I bet it's it's around as many times as a lot of guys hit doubles. So, you know, that's something that I, I'm very interested. Guys don't want to put you on base. How do you work all of these walks? Because the, the walk rate stayed consistent as you ri- rose levels, right? You could maybe attribute some walks to to bad command at the lower levels, but you kept the walk rate high in double A where command continues to get better. And again, I've seen you just be a patient hitter. I expect the walk rate to continue. Uh, what do you attribute that to? Have you just always had that feel for the strike zone? I've always had the feel for the strike zone, but again, in Beloit, I had another, I had a coach that showed me, he kind of explained to me, everybody makes the picture, it's offense that's so hard, it's offense that's so hard, but we forget that it's still hard for pitchers. Like, it's hard for these pitchers because the pitchers want to hit their spot so perfectly that they'll, they'll miss. And it's either going to be a miss as a ball or a miss down the middle, you know? So if I'm hunting that one pitch, you're going to have to bring it to me before you get to two strikes or I'm not going to swing unless you make a really good pitch. And that happens sometimes, you know, sometimes I go out of my approach. It happens, but it's on me to get locked back in. But when I realize that pitchers, it's not easy for them. It's not easy for them either. They have to hit. They have to make the pitch, and it has to come to me. If it's not to me, I'm not swinging because I got three to play with. Yeah, I got three to play with. So when you only have one to play with, how do you adapt that approach a little bit? Obviously, you're a little bit more, you know, fight or flight survival mode, and and you're good in those spots too. But again, I love that idea of of you know making him throw it over that that 16 inch plate from 60 feet, six inches away. Right. And if he throws it right down the middle, you feel confident that you, you can hit that. He executes a couple so, pitches or you foul one off. Now you're two strikes. Obviously your approach changes a little bit. Uh, how did you balance that? And, and are, are you just kind of in swing mode at that point? Or, or what are you thinking as 
as a guy with two strikes, because again, you, you still get on base at a really good clip and um, you, you don't want to expand the zone and become somebody that isn't Nas Nunez because you've had success being that, but in two strikes, you maybe have to shift the approach a little bit. Hmm. Sometimes I get in swing mode, but the big thing I learned is that you can't get in swing mode because they still, it's still hard. <laughs> yeah. You don't, they don't want to put it right down the middle with two strikes because they already have an advantage. They want to nibble. They want to make you get yourself out unless a pitcher's like a dog and he's like, here, you not, I'm going to throw it here and you still not going to hit it. But then as a, for a hitter, I'm looking at him like, you're not going to throw this here and I'm not going to hit it. So it's going to be, it's got to be a, a clash of dogs and that's going to be a battle. But a lot of pitchers don't do that. A lot of pitchers will be like, I'm a, I got two strikes. I can play with him. I'm, I'm a nibble. I'm going to get him to chase. Uh-uh, Papa, it's not happening. Like, <laughs> that's not, that's not my intention. It's all about intention, what you're doing at the plate. I can take one of my teammates striking out on two strikes, chasing at a changeup in the dirt or let's say a slider or something like crazy. That's just nasty because I'll be like, what was your intention? What were you looking for? I was making sure it's coming to me and you were, you were battling. But if you're just swinging a swing, like you swinging before the ball even comes, still trying to yank one. Yeah. not letting it get deep, not just trying to touch it so you could keep the game going and pass the stick, that's their beat. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense, man. I, and, and I think that's something that is kind of missing in this game a little bit. Um, and, and that's why, you know, I think it's pretty pretty refreshing to see guys that make pitchers work, especially in the minor leagues. And, you know, these are guys that, again, they've got the odds stacked against them too. That's what makes baseball so brutal is it's hard for everybody involved. <laughs> it's hard for everybody involved. So speaking to that point, final question for you, man, is what are your goals for 2023 and beyond? I think obviously last year you took that really big step from, you know, lower levels to, you know, success at the beginning of the upper levels. And again, you know, as we mentioned earlier, learning a lot more about yourself, getting those at-bats, getting those reps. And uh, I, I'm sure you already knew it, but solidifying your case as one of the best defenders in the infield in the minor leagues. Uh, and that just comes with continuing to be out there on the field. What's your goal for 2023 and beyond? And, and you know, like what's what's on your mind as you're entering camp now and, and getting ready to go? The big goal is just like everybody else who's playing pro ball. I want to get to the big leagues. Yeah. When I get to the big leagues, I want to stay in the big leagues. And I believe I will stay in the big leagues because I'm going to continue my routine and do what I have to do. But that's the big goal. That's something I don't focus too much on. The goals that I want to complete this year, I want to be the best team that I could be. I want to be the player I know myself to be. And if I can be the player I know myself to be, that will allow me to blossom into a, into a new player, maybe into something else that I never thought I could grow into, you know? So whatever the team needs, I'm going to be there and I'm going to play ball and be a teammate, be a brother for my teammates, be somebody who they can reach out to, be open, be vulnerable to everybody so that we can build those relationships and get some world series. We need some championships here in Miami. Like we need them back. Dude, it's time to get some. <laughs> dude, I, I grew you up know? in South Florida, man. You're, you're, you're preaching to it's the choir. It's time to get some. I, I born to get in 97. Some. Didn't enjoy that one. I was, I was just a few months old. And then, uh, you know, 03, I was six. So, you know, I, I haven't really seen uh, a competitive Marlins team since the Hanley Dan Ugla days way back. And we were just talking about that on, on the other podcast on the Just Baseball Show. So that was going to be my last question, honestly. It was going to be a two-parter was, you know, what can Marlins fans expect from Nasim Nunez in terms of 
who you are as a player and a person. You kind of answered that, but if there's anything else you want to fill in, that's my final question. You're just going to have to see, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> just going to have to see. It's going to be fun, though. It's going to yeah. be very fun. And I can't wait. What kind of what kind of guy like that that you bring to the to the clubhouse to to the fan base to to whatever beyond that you know I think they can kind of get the sense of that from this from this interview I think they can get a sense of what kind of guy you are and I mean that in the best way possible uh, but you know what what can fans kind of expect from you know a, a guy that I think is going to be a part of the future you know they're gonna. I'm goofy. You know, I, I like to have fun, but when it gets down to business, I'm about my business. If I'm at that field and we're playing a game to win and this is affecting everybody, everybody's lives on the team, yeah. not just mine, it's it's about business. <laughs> it's it's time to get right. That's what it's about. 100%. Now, when we chilling, we just kicking it. Yeah, what's up, bro? Like, we're going to have fun. But when we're there, it's about business. We're going to we're going to play to win. I love that. And you guys did that in Pensacola. You you, you, you yeah. won games. You won a title this year. And then that was a team that, you know, going out there, you could see how, how tightly knit, how, how how much fun you guys had out there. And I, I think that's a testament to guys like yourself and some of the other guys that were out on that team that you know, just, just seem to have that right mentality. And hopefully that'll continue to make its way up to the big league level and and kind of build that, that top-down success. So I'm excited to see that continue. Um, yes, and it's coming from the youth too. Yeah. Hundred percent. Youth is the youth. Got some, we got some dogs too. I'm, I'm excited, coming. man. I'm excited. <laughs> it's not a coincidence that the Rays win every minor league title every year, usually, right? And then the big league team always has that youth coming up and giving them life and, and keeping them competitive. And I think and the Marlins are starting to show some of that with like yes, because the, the top is going to influence the youth, and then the youth is going to show what the top's really providing. So watch from bottom up. And that's what a good good organization does. That's why I, I yep. love to hear that from you. We got maybe like 10 minutes to go over some live video on, on, on another stream real quick. If you're cool with that, yeah, uh, let's for get those it. listening, let's get it. that link is in the podcast description. <laughs> Check it out. Naz has some of the best plays you're going to see on a baseball field defensively at short. So check that out in the link description. Uh, we're going to break that down on StreamYard for YouTube real quick. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.